The following episode of The Melissa Ambrosini Show is ad-free and uninterrupted. In episode 445 with Simone Davies, we dive deep into all things Montessori, how to raise well-adjusted kids, and so much more. Welcome to The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy. Healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because As you will hear in this conversation, Montessori is something that I have personally known about since I was five years old. And it's something that I have really been interested in for a very long time. And today we share all about Montessori, what it is, and how you can take some of the Montessori principles and implement them at home. And we dive into so much more. And for those of you that have never heard of Simone, she is the author of The Montessori Toddler, and co-author of The Montessori Baby, which I read in my early days when Baby Girl arrived Earthside. Now, these are comprehensive guides to raising toddlers and infants in a Montessori way. The books are based on her 15-plus years' experience working as an AMI Montessori teacher in Sydney and in Amsterdam. She also has a popular blog, Instagram, and podcast titled The Montessori Notebook, so go and check those out. She is also the mother of two young adults, and she currently runs parent-child Montessori classes in Amsterdam at her school, Jacaranda Tree Montessori. And she is working on another book called The Montessori Child for children from 3 to 12 years, which I cannot wait to get and read. For everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 445. Now let's dive in. Simone, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Yes, I just had a glass of warm water and some porridge with maple syrup because we're over here in the Northern Hemisphere where it's still very much winter, so something cozy. Lovely. Oh, I love porridge and I love cozy breakfasts. Oh, they're so good. So I first discovered Montessori when I was really little, probably around seven years old, because my little brother went to a Montessori daycare or kindy. And I remember going to pick him up and I absolutely loved the energy even back then. And I didn't even really understand what was going on or what this Montessori place was, but I knew that I just loved the energy and I knew that I loved going to pick him up. I remember driving with my mom and we'd go and get him and I just loved picking him up and I loved the energy in that place. And now since having a baby, I love reading about the Montessori philosophy and implementing some of the principles at home. So before we dive into that, can you tell us how you discovered Montessori and why you love it so much and wanted to pursue it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very similar is that my children are now 21 and 19. And when I was looking for a preschool for them, I'd heard about Montessori and went to an open day and had that same experience. Wow, this space looks just amazing. It's all set out down low and everything looks so inviting. I want to play with it. So I'm sure that my children will want to. And it didn't just look like rubbish toys for them to push around. It really looked like it was going to challenge them. And I wanted them to love learning. Like I remember myself in school, I would just put up my hand and say, is this in the test? And if it wasn't in the test, I wouldn't do it anyway. And so I wanted more for my children. So I thought this is such a beautiful learning environment. But the other thing that really touched me was the educators, the guides or teachers. They were so respectful to both the adults and the children, like the way they spoke to them as real people, not like dumbing things down or doing baby voices. And it just felt, like you said, very calm and a really comfortable place to learn, very cozy and like a home. And Dr. Montessori actually did call her first school a Casa de Bambini, which means house of children. And so when you walk in, you know there's cozy places for them to go and sit in the corner. No one's saying you have to sit in this exact chair. So I fell in love with the respectful approach, the inviting learning environment. And it wasn't long before I was doing my Montessori training as well. Mm, Beautiful. So for those that have never heard of Montessori, what is it? Well, yeah, actually, I'm really surprised that you'd heard of it, you know, when you were seven, because in Australia, whenever I lived there, I lived there 15 years ago, everyone was like, what is Montessori? So you had to start. And this is what I would tell them. I said, well, you know what traditional education is? You know, the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and everyone is going to learn what the teacher decides. And we sit in our rows, perhaps, I mean, maybe in learning groups, but really, it's really teacher directed. This is what we're learning today. And Montessori is very different because every child learns differently and on their own timeline. So not every child's ready to learn the letter A on, you know, the day that the teacher specifies. So instead we follow the child's rhythm and pace, which seems kind of chaotic. But what works is you have a mixed age group. So say children from three to six or six to nine and nine to 12 all in one room so that the older ones are modeling and can help the younger ones. And you know yourself, like if you can understand a topic and you teach it to somebody else, you're just consolidating your learning. So it's not wasting their time or anything. You have the teacher who's observing every child and seeing where they're up to. So there's no tests. And so that's brilliant for learning because it's not about competition, but about, you know, every child actually has a desire to master and repeat. And so there's that. And then the other part about Montessori is we have this third part, which is the environment and the environment set up. So, as I said, so beautifully, so it attracts the child and there's a really rich curriculum with, you know, language in one corner, math in another, these practical life activities where they actually learn to take care of themselves and make a snack with a friend and clean the floor if they make a spill and take responsibility for caring for each other, which is something that you don't expect three to six year olds are learning. You know, at the moment, you know, our parents are doing everything for us and in their yeah, this is our space and we learn to take care of it. And there's also even beautiful like geography materials, cultural materials. So, you know, maps of the world and learning about other people. So it's so varied in what they can do. There's a lot of movement. No one has to sit in their chair. So yeah, it gives you a quick idea about Montessori, but it's, it's something you have to go and witness, like you said, to see it in action, to see how it can possibly work. Yeah, it is amazing. And I highly encourage everyone to go and take a tour in one of the classrooms so you can get an understanding of how this is different to traditional education. But I would love to hear Dr. Maria Montessori. Who is she? Why did she create this? Can you give us a little bit of background on her? Yeah, it's fascinating because 
she was quite a powerhouse actually and she lived to the end of the 1800s and was actually one of the first doctors in Italy to study medicine and so she actually had to often do some of her lectures in a separate space because if you were dissecting a human that wasn't going to be appropriate to do amongst males you know that was at the time that she was around. And she also didn't, she even wanted to study medicine, which is a powerful thing, didn't want to just become like a nurse or one of the traditional career paths for women at that time. So after studying medicine, she was working with psychiatric patients and would often work with patients, children as well, and would see them like picking up tiny breadcrumbs on the floor. And these children were thought of as unable to do anything. And Dr. Montessori actually said, these children are lacking stimulation. They're looking at breadcrumbs and actually trying to pick them up with their fingers. What if I brought in some of these materials that some of my contemporaries are using and see how they can do it? These children ended up passing state exams. So then she was invited to work in the slums of Rome to set up a house of children there for parents who'd go out to work to make them stimulate so the children didn't run around this estate, you know, making a mess. And what she achieved there, she didn't come in with like an idea like, oh, I want STEM for every child. She really looked at every child without any preconceived idea of what it was going to look like and things that worked she'd keep and things that didn't work she took away. So this was in 1907 that she opened the first Montessori school and very soon she had a lot of people coming to visit saying how is this working these children are doing their own activities there there was an inspector who came to visit and she wasn't available so they opened up the classroom and gave a tour and they she'd had materials in the cupboard for example and they took out the materials showed very kind like irrespectively how to use materials and put them back in the cupboard and Dr Montessori then thought well if the children can do that when I'm not there why am I locking up the materials and only presenting them when they're available so she's kind of designed this classroom where all of the materials out for the children to choose. All of the furniture was down low, which is what we see in preschools all around the world now, that she actually made those kind of low-down chairs and tables and things that they could access themselves. And also really interestingly, this practical life area is that she noticed that the children liked to help her as she was sweeping the classroom. And so she'd make child-sized materials for everything. So when you see Montessori, you often see child-sized furniture, child-sized materials and children doing things that we don't think they're capable of. And really, she just kept following the children and seeing that youngest children were interested in math if they were interested and following every child and learning to observe them. What have you noticed with children who have gone to traditional public schools and children who have gone through the Montessori curriculum. What have you noticed is different between them? I think the thing that I notice most is that usually I'd see that Montessori children love learning. So they don't walk out of the classroom and go, okay, I'm done for learning for the day. Let's go play. Let's sit on our screen. They just want to know about everything in their daily life. Like, oh, I wonder why this is. I wonder why that is. And they learn to be critical thinkers as opposed to I have to wrote learn this material they do hands-on learning all the time and so beyond the classroom it extends you'll see them not know something and go and get a book to find out or mum can I call that person I need to find out you know really why this yeast is rising I don't understand I'm going to go to the bakery and find out so they're kind of like kids who are very curious and responsible I think as well they take responsibility for their family as well as their friends and very sensitive empathetic humans I remember when I went and had a tour. So I have a 16-year-old stepson. I call him my bonus son. When he was in year five, we were considering pulling him out of the school that he was in, which is an all-boys school. And he's been there since he was four years old. So he goes from four till he finishes when he's 17, 18. And we were considering pulling him out in year five so that he could go and have a Montessori experience and then go back to the school that he is currently at for 
his later years. So we went and had a tour of the Montessori and he had a day there. And my husband and I were like, this is so amazing. And I remember walking in and there was two little boys sitting out on the chairs outside the classroom, just quietly eating their lunch together or their morning tea. I can't remember. And they were so cute. It was so beautiful. They were just sitting there chatting by themselves. And we said to them, oh, hey, how are you? You know, what do you love about Montessori? And they were so polite and beautiful. And they said, we love that we get to learn the things that we want to learn. And it's so nice and calm in here. And I just thought, oh my goodness, that's so beautiful. And then we dropped our little boy back at his school. And it was so hilarious because as we dropped him back, there was kids screaming and running around the classroom. And my husband and I were like, we just witnessed polar opposite experiences. So I'm not saying that that happens in every school, but there was a very clear difference that we witnessed on that day. He didn't end up going to the Montessori and he's had a great schooling, but I definitely am very interested in the curriculum. I am interested in implementing some of the principles at home now. I have a baby at the moment, as you saw before we started recording. And I just think it's such a beautiful philosophy. I love that there is no talking down. I love that we get the children involved. You know, they're sweeping. They are picking up things. They're helping because they monkey see, monkey do. They want to help. They want to be part. They want to cook. They want to bring their food to the table and help in any way they can. So I would love to hear what are some of the basic Montessori principles that we can implement into our life? Yeah. So I think the first would be to observe your child. And people say, well, I see my child every day, but as a parent and even their teacher, you know, we get to know them so well. So we forget to look objectively at what our child's interested in. So if you saw Bambi, for example, try and drop, she just kept dropping things maybe off her table when she was eating or something like that. We'd be like, oh, I wonder if she's interested in releasing things now. And maybe like I can make a little ball drop out of a cardboard box and make a hole in it for the ball to come back out. And when you find the activity, when you're observing you end up finding the things that your child's interested in, kind of like what those boys said, like, I'm so glad I get to work on the things that I like working on. And the thing is, is that they don't realize, but they're actually covering every subject area anyway, but by following their own interest path. And the teachers there, if they're kind of really avoiding math, then they'll come find a way for the child to get to that as well. So at home, you can be like looking at your child, like, what is my child really interested in? Because I think I, I often know, like when my kids were small, I'd buy a toy or something like that. And then I'd be really disappointed if they weren't interested in it. It was my idea of what they would be into and not what they were interested in. So I'm kind of always looking like there was a child in my classes who was interested in bell towers. And so then we were talked about how could you like follow this interest? And so they ended up visiting all of the bell towers that they could. And when you go and visit a bell tower to make the different sounds of the bells, you see a big bell, then a slightly smaller bell, then a slightly smaller bell and a slightly smaller bell. And so they're learning about gradation and things like that, and music. And there's so much actually that you could follow from this strange, seemingly interest in bells. Parents will often say, oh yeah, my child's only interested in cars right now. I said, well, there's, that's, there's lots you can do about cars. You know, there's every different type of vehicle. So in my class, I have a little basket of emergency vehicles. So they learn, they might know the name of the ambulance and the police car, but they might not know rescue helicopters. So again, it's very easy for them to learn and have a very rich vocabulary around that. Or sometimes we have the construction vehicles. And to, you know, some of us, I definitely, for sure, I just thought they all look like trucks. But actually, when you get into it, 
but there's like a front wheel loader and there's an excavator and there's a bulldozer and you're like what are the difference between all of these and when you look oh yeah the bulldozer has track wheels and a scoop that pushes along the ground and so you actually the child is getting a very rich vocabulary they can find, read books about vehicles and they can realize, oh, this vehicle looks like the one in the book. And then they're making an abstraction that a 3D object is the same as a 2D object. So you can see how you can follow like lots of different paths. You can make washi tape and the child can learn to move vehicles around, that kind of thing. But you're following their interests. So observation leads to following the interests. And then often I get her, I also hear, like, how do I set up my home? And when we set up our home in a way that's very intentional, then we have a lot less things. Like, I know that you're a minimalist, Melissa, so it definitely would appeal to you to not have, like, hundreds of toys take over your house. But if you just had, like, a low shelf that had, like, maybe six activities that your child's interested in, you'll have less things to pack away. It's like going into a supermarket. If I go back to Australia now, I just get overwhelmed because in one aisle, there's a hundred different types of cereal. And if I go to my little Dutch supermarket, because there's one like on every corner, they just have small supermarkets. There's really like one type of oatmeal I can buy. So I just pick that one and it's really easy. I'm in and out of the supermarket in like 10 minutes where in Australia it's, ah, so it's this choice. If I just actually have limited amounts available, the child has more deep focus and concentration and all those beautiful things. And then it's not just about playing, it's about incorporating them, as we said, in their daily life. So I have an area down low, like I always just say, okay, I go into your kitchen and can your child access their own plates and bowls and things? And usually they're up high in the high cupboards. What about if you made a drawer down low or a cupboard down low of theirs and they can put a glass and their cutlery and their plates and things. So if they want to make a snack during the day, they can go and get their bowl and take it to a low table. You can even put snack things, the amount that you want them to eat, like healthy snacks, you can fill them up each day and they can actually help themselves. And if they eat them all at nine o'clock, then they'll know the next day or the days after oh whenever I eat my snacks really early then I don't have anything to eat until lunchtime so you're actually giving them responsibility and they really like you know being part of the family so whenever I was cooking I would have like a stepladder for my kids to work at the kitchen with me and now you can have like learning towers and things like that as well in your home so they can be involved so there's definitely like observation looking what activities your child's interested in and less is more and involving them as well Mm, I love that so much Tell me about the Montessori floor bed. Oh, yeah, it seems controversial at first, but then it kind of makes sense. It's like we invented cots and cribs to contain a baby so that we know where they are and that the child, they're at our height, so it's very convenient for us to put them in. But the floor bed is actually designed so that the baby can be laid on a a mattress on the floor. It could have a wooden barrier around it to hold the mattress in. And the idea is, is that once a baby can crawl then or even slither, they can actually get to the end of the bed and get out of the bed when they wake up. So usually babies cry when they wake up because they need to get out of the crib. But in this case, if you have a very baby proof space, then they can crawl out of their bed, they can go and find their little shelf of activities and they can start getting busy. They might be sitting, I mean, I I always choose quite a quiet activities for them to play in their room, but they might be reading a book and those kind of things. And then they'll crawl out. Sometimes you can leave the door open if your house is safe enough for them to crawl to you when they're ready. And otherwise, some people put a baby gate actually across the baby's door so that if your baby's going to crawl out and go straight down a staircase, you know, that's not going to be safe. So it gives the child independence. And then they actually transition really easily to a toddler bed and things like that. And if you think, okay, well, that's just too weird for me. I just feel uncomfortable. Then I would just advise really try and move your child into a toddler bed as soon as later, like sooner than later. So around 16 months, my son moved into a toddler bed because there's a very short, small gap between my children and I wanted the other bed for my daughter. And I just found that he was, he wasn't at that age where he was pushing boundaries at two years old when we often try and think to take them out, you know? So he just 
thought, oh, okay, great, I can get in and out of this bed as I want. And so to give them that independence, they really feel like I am in control of myself and I don't have to battle my parents all the time. And giving them that trust is something that we give in Montessori. It's like, I trust you. And if they get out of their bed, then we just model showing them, you know, to get back in. And when they're young babies as well, it's actually quite convenient because I don't know about you, but like leaning over a cot to pat a little child is quite bad for our backs where you can lie down and have a nap next to them and just have a hand on them if they're having an unset. Hmm. It's really interesting. I love the concept of giving them independence and saying to them that we trust you, that you can have your own space and you can get up in the morning. But I can hear so many mothers going, what? Like, really? And we did the Montessori floor bed for a little while. And then one time, it was in our bedroom. So we had the Montessori floor bed. This is when she outgrew the bed that she was sleeping in, in our bed. So we had like a little bed in between us. And then she outgrew that. And I personally didn't feel comfortable having her without a little barrier in between us. Like I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't get into any sort of sleep because I was so, and I don't know whether it's because it's my first baby, but I could not relax at all. I just couldn't relax. So we put the Montessori floor bed next to me on the floor and I woke up and she was sideways and up the top. She had slithered off the mattress (laughs) and up the top face down on the floor. And I was like, oh my goodness, darling, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. And then I was like, well, how does this work? Well, you might actually find that they wake up in weird positions, you know, and because of SIDS, we do need to be safe. So if we find them on their fronts, then we would, you know, put them on their back again. But sometimes they do wake up in the middle of the night, they play, and then they don't quite make it back to bed and you might find them asleep on the floor, which is they'll learn, which is more comfortable in the long run. But actually, I've actually done observations as well on sleeping babies. And you see that they get to the edge of the mattress. And just like we don't fall out of bed, they actually learn to wiggle back back as well. So there's that kind of thing. And it's just a lot of trust and us unlearning, oh, we put our baby to sleep here and in the long run they're going to be responsible for putting themselves to sleep, which we just can't even imagine. We always put our child to bed. And here we're saying now it's rest time and when you actually fall asleep, you can't shake a child to sleep. You can't, you know, put close their eyes. You know, it's that that only thing. Toileting and eating and sleeping are the three things that a child has control over. And they're often three things that we get into battles with our babies about because we're not trusting them and letting them do it themselves. Mm, I love that. I love trusting them and just they are so intelligent. They are so intelligent. And I don't think we give them enough credit. No, absolutely. I mean, when people come to my, I have run a play group here in Amsterdam and I've been running it for the last 12 years and the parents are shocked the first time they come to watch, you know, the children who are peeling the bananas and they're like, they're going to eat it. I said, well, they might eat some, but if once they learn how to do it, that they're preparing food for friends, it might be different. So then they take a piece of banana peel, they get up, they go over to the bin, they find the little foot pedal, they put it in by themselves they come back sit back down they take another piece of peel and then they do it again the parents are just like why don't they just take them all in one go it's just like that's their process it's not about you know the product but they're they're so capable and intelligent picking it up because they're watching the child next to them do the same thing and then they might sneak a piece of the apple and we just say oh we put it on the plate for friends so we tell them what we want them to do instead of no don't eat it because then all they hear is eat it say oh it goes on the plate for friends it goes on the plate for friends and before you know it these children 
they're spreading crackers, they're making orange juice, they're slicing banana. And then at the mealtime, we'll say, oh, who helped make the banana? And they're so proud of themselves. Oh, I helped do that. It's really, really lovely. And then they've set the table themselves, they've cleared the tapes themselves. And parents are like, if they do that here at Playgroup, then I'm sure that they could do this at home. And I work with children under four years old. So these children are really capable from like around two, I really see them being able to set and clear the table all by themselves. So beautiful. I remember when we went and observed the Montessori when we were going and looking for Leo and everyone brings a piece of fruit every day and you share it. And I just loved that whole philosophy. I loved doing that. And I just love that whole ritual of doing that together. Everyone brings a piece of fruit, you sit in a circle, you cut it, you share it. I thought that was really beautiful. And I love the philosophy of no plastics and it's very health conscious. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful philosophy and way to educate children and empower children. And I'm curious, your two boys, did they go through the whole Montessori curriculum? My children went to Montessori from, well, when they were toddlers, they would go to a Montessori playgroup right through to 12 years old till they finished primary school. And then they went on to different high schools, which was actually really interesting. People actually often ask, you know, how do they transition to a regular school after being in the Montessori system? And for my children, they were like, oh, actually, in some ways, it's easier. They just tell me what I need to do. And I just do that. So in some ways, we're challenging children to be more capable by having to choose what activity they want to work on, because they walk into the classroom and the teacher doesn't tell them what to do. They go, oh, I might start with my maths. I might start with my language. I might sit next to my friend. I might sit by myself. Like, where am I going to sit? How am I going to work? They have to make all those choices themselves. And so when you go then to a traditional school where they just tell you what to do, they go, well, at least that part of my day is, you know, kind of done. And they really, they do mind they thought some of the rules were really silly like my son for example would say I think it's a silly rule that they punish children who are late like it would be much more helpful if you told them like why you late and help them get there and actually in the Montessori high school there is one in Amsterdam but they didn't choose for that because it actually was more like a traditional school but just you can do it at your own pace it's not quite the Montessori philosophy it's a Montessori kind of compromise and so at that Montessori school though if a child's running late for school like a teenager they actually put them on a list to text them to say are you on your way and to actually help them get there the idea is not to punish them but like yeah you want children to be at school not for them to hate school so I think that's quite interesting so my son thought it was kind of like silly that he would get in trouble if he was late and hilariously he was never late because he respected the rules as well so I think that's also really interesting. Yes I remember going into the classroom and all the kids writing down the order that they wanted to do things. So they had on a piece of paper, maths, geography, morning tea, then English, and they got to map out and plan their day to what felt right and good for them. And I just absolutely love that. You're really empowering them to make these choices and to tune in and go, what do I feel like doing right now? Do I feel like doing some geography? Do I feel like doing some maths? And I really love that. I thought it was such a beautiful thing to hand back over that power to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really hard to learn if you're on someone else's timeline, which is the teachers. And in Montessori, they can really follow their own interests and where they're up to. And the teacher's always looking, okay, that child's finished that lesson, so I'm going to give them a lesson in the next thing. And as they get older, they start to do more group lessons as well, where the teacher's actually not teaching them everything. 
So from six to 12 years old, she gives them more an invitation, a little like, oh, I'm going to make you curious about this subject. And now you, whoosh, you go off and like explore it further in the way that you find interesting. So one child might do a survey of the class and make a graph, you know, to graph their answers. And another might put on a theatre performance to show what they came up with. And I just love that they get a lot of freedom. They're still mastering the skill, but they're doing it in their own way. It's pretty cool. Yes, I love that so much. It's so beautiful. What are some ways that we can live the Montessori way at home? Yeah, so I think a lot of what we said before was setting up our home so our children can have accessibility, observing our child so we have activities that interest them. But one thing that I think we probably all need to take a lesson from is to slow down. So we are all on a time schedule. We're often working parents with children who are at home and it's really difficult to have everyone's needs met. But instead, when we slow down, we can see that the child needs a lot less. They don't need to have an activity on every afternoon after school. They need time to just be able to chill out and relax and have long extended periods where they can explore and be at home and be outside and flop on the couch. And not as soon as they walk in that there's an activity book that they have to do, you know, to have a lot more space. And when I slow down I'm also working a lot with younger parents it's like slowing down how we show our child something so instead of the fastest thing is for me to take off my child's jacket for them or I can teach them how to take it off themselves which is actually really fun it's not because we want them to grow up really quickly but again they feel really empowered when they can do it themselves and also they feel really they're learning skills that they're going to need for life and in the long run you save time because your child's going to be able to put on their own jacket and that kind of thing so really to slow down look and just to do a little bit of their zipper and see how much they can do themselves or a button to slow down. It looks like we just like move our hands really fast when we do a button. And instead, if you break it down, you're like, oh, first we actually open the bit behind the button. We push the button through. We look for the button. We pull it out. Then we take the other piece of material out. And it's like really three or four or five different moves to actually slow down and show them what we're doing. So the same if you're teaching a toddler how to pour a glass of water, you know, it can be as simple as instead of just filling up the glass for them or give them a sip of bottle. Actually, I'm going to give you a real glass, which we do in Montessori a lot. We give them real knives, real glasses, because if they break, then they learn to be respectful. Oh, actually, this breaks. It's fragile. So instead, I'll use two hands. And so we can slow down our movements and add just a little bit of water and then they learn to drink it with two hands and then the child very easily picks up how they can learn those skills too. So I think slowing down would be one thing that we could definitely take away, <laughs> if not more. There's so many things that we can, we can try. Also respectfully, like addressing problems that come up. I think that's a big thing that we're so used to a different way. Many of us were brought up in more like the parents are in charge and it's actually very different. Some people think that Montessori is where children can do whatever they like and that's actually not the case. We call it freedom within limits. So at one end, you'd have like a really strict family and at the other, a laissez-faire parent who where you can do whatever you like. And it's actually somewhere in the middle, which is like you have a lot of freedom, a lot of choices, but, you know, there are limits. So, for example, in a Montessori classroom, you can't just take whatever you want. You can't take it off someone else who's in the middle of an activity. You wait until it's finished. You put it back on the shelf ready for the next person and then it's available. So you're learning to be in community with others as well. Yes. I also remember when I went in, seeing the children play with whatever it was they were playing with. Then, yes, they pack it up, they put it back, and there was no whinging about it. They just did it, and it was so beautiful. And I also loved, which you mentioned at the start, the different ages. So the three age groups in the one classroom, I think that's really beautiful, and both boys and girls, which I think is so important. And the one that I went to, there was two teachers. So there was the main teacher and then a second set of hands. And I love that the classroom wasn't overflowing with children and 
both of the teachers were walking around. They were getting on the floor with the kids. They were helping. It was such a calm, beautiful, and peaceful environment. And I thought, oh my goodness, I want to go here. Yeah, exactly. It's so inviting because I also think it's just when the teacher also gets down the floor with you, you know, and often they were just wearing jeans. They just look like normal people. They didn't look like someone that's this big authoritative figure, but yet I respect them. And when I love someone, I want to do what they want me to do. So there's also like learning through love and just having respectful relationships with the children in the class. It's a really cozy space. It's also a really safe space. Like sometimes in my classes, a child will take another toy of someone else and the parents really embarrassed I'm like do you know what if they already knew how to you know take turns then they don't need to come to any class you know so this is actually a safe space for us to practice and if they take something off them then the child who they've who's had the toy taken away we can teach them to say it will be available soon you know stop I don't like that or we can teach them to stand up for themselves and for the child who has taken something it's like oh I can see that you really wanted to turn they're not being naughty they just like they really wanted a toy right now so they start taking it they need to learn and so they say it will be available soon and I use the same phrases with my children at home and say it'll be available soon and they really like Emma was probably two years old when she was trying to say available soon, you know, to her older brother who had taken something from their hands. So I think it's really fun to empower them, to show them respectful ways of being with each other, how we solve conflicts, because it's not like there's never conflict, but children don't see how conflicts are solved. So we're teaching them those soft skills as well, which are the skills that they don't get in many schooling opportunities here in traditional education. But this is actually part of the program of Montessori is being in community with each other, because I love that Montessori teaches independence but I also don't think it's overlooked that Montessori is also about teaching children to be in community with each other so for example there's a community when they even come to a play group so that they're learning to take their turn and we sit and snack together and we ask who prepared the food and we take turns to get the orange juice to pour out orange juice or like water and for the children to do things themselves and I love it when like an older child helps a younger child who's spilled like all of their work and all the pieces have gone everywhere and they help them put them back or get a tissue for somebody else and then in a preschool you know there's maybe more children and they're not without their own parent there so they're also getting used to being in that community and then by the time they're six to twelve they're actually learning how they can help their community so they often have community projects where they go out and even maybe the neighbor is an older person in the community that they can go and mow their lawns I mean it's not for pocket money but it's to do community service and to understand those things and also to see the wisdom in the community, like I said before, they have these going outs. So when they're finding a topic that they're interested in, they'll write a plan how they make a visit. They'll actually even need to look up a bus timetable themselves and work out which bus they need to catch. They need to make a phone call to this person to arrange a visit. And they're learning all of these life skills that they're doing as well. And then going and getting the wisdom from this person that they've arranged a visit with, I mean, coming back and writing the report. And they have just an, a parent who would come along as a chaperone, but the chaperone is not allowed to say anything if they get on the wrong bus or anything like that because that's the natural consequence of learning. So they might actually never make it to the appointment, but there's so much learning that happened even if they got on the wrong bus and never made it to the appointment. So it's definitely a switch for us where we're so in charge, so in, used to organising everything for the children and they're learning so much more than just the academics going to a Montessori school. It's really about empowering them, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. They get so much trust and they get so much possibility and we see how capable they are. And also you get children who are much calmer because when children's needs are being met, they don't need to fight against us, you know. So children are generally calmer. People come to my class and every day after their child says, can we go to playgroup? Can we go to playgroup? And they say, what's the magic of this place? And it's like everything is set up for them. They have 
everything at their low, like that's at their height, it's beautiful because I have like artwork and flowers and everything down low, cozy spots for them to sit. A baby who's just come into the class will get on and off the chairs because they're like, oh, these chairs are the same size for me. They have activities that are interesting and they're challenging. They're not so hard that they'll give up and they're not too easy that they get bored with them. So it's finding like that perfect like activity. And then they have other children to be around as well. So you, a lot of children will just stand and observe and we think, oh, they're not doing anything. But of course, they're watching the older child and then they go over and they do it themselves. So I actually have to give a lot less lessons as well. So it's this like when children's needs are being met, you have very satisfied children. Mm, absolutely. And a lot less tantrums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tantrums are good too. That's just an expression of needs. We can go there if you like. Yeah, let's do it. I think that I have feel a lot of empathy. I think I, I worked start working with toddlers because I saw that they were frustrated, not that they were being naughty when they had a tantrum. It's just like, oh, what happened here? But I, t- I don't know if you've ever read The Whole Brain Child by Dan Siegel. Yes, and I've had him on the podcast too. He's amazing. Oh, okay. Everyone go and listen to that episode because Dan Siegel and Tina Jane um, Payne Bryson, they're amazing. And they talk about they're flipping their lid. And so when they're having a tantrum, all of the rational part of their brain is flipped. And you need to first help them to calm down and get back to neutral before you kind of even say, yeah, we can't have that ice cream right now because and giving them the reason that they can't have that ice cream because if you talk to them when they're they're flying that you know they're so rageful and everything they're not even hearing you so 50 percent of children i mean i'm just picking this number will push you away they say i don't even want you to touch me right now and 50 percent of children will accept your cuddle and in a way it's easier when they do because you can hold them and support them and say i can see you're having a hard time right now until they come back down and those children that push you away then we keep them safe and i just would keep checking in with them every minute and to say i can see you're having a hard time let me know if there's anything i can do i'm here and i'm just make sure that they're safe so if they're banging their head I'd put a pillow under their head and help them to come back to calm and sometimes it takes like 45 minutes for them to go through that full process but you'll notice that they let out this kind of release when they're done with tantrums and then that's when you can have make amends like if they really have broken something or something like that then a really important step is for them to take responsibility for whatever thing they've done so it might seem like oh I'm rewarding a tantrum it's like I'm not rewarding the tantrum I'm helping the child get back to regulate themselves and then we can address whatever thing that they've done to make it up to somebody else if they push another child if I've been hit and there's something like a red they might get a cold cloth for me and all those kind of things. And I do the same things, even if they did that in the middle of the supermarket, is if someone's getting really cross and saying it's not appropriate for them to be melting down, then I might say, I'm sorry to move you and I'll pick you up as quietly as I can. And they might be kicking and streaming, like I'm moving, I'm using my gentle hands to move you and, and take them to a spot where they can take time to, to come back down. And what I usually find as well, particularly with toddlers, is like once they've gone through that big tantrum and they've really resolved it, then they don't just like kind of keep being cranky all day. They wake up joyful and they go to bed joyful. So toddlers are actually a pleasure to be around because they have their tantrum and then they go back to being their joyful selves again where we are in a grumpy mood and we just stay in a grumpy mood all day. So actually I think we can learn a lot from being around toddlers and just expressing that's just an expression of their needs in that moment. Yes, it's really beautiful. You see them just fully express and let it all out and then 10 minutes later sometimes they're happy as Larry. Exactly. It's really cute. Yeah, it is really, really cute. And going back to what you were saying before about following their interest and observing them. So right now, Bambi is around 10 months and she is so interested in climbing. She wants to pull herself up on everything. She's so proud of herself. So she'll pull herself up and she'll look around and then she started uh, walking along the couch and pulling herself along and she is so proud. It's so beautiful. 
And so I was just observing her and realized that this is something she's really interested in. And we have a long bench seat. So what I did, and I don't even know if this is correct. I don't even know. But what I did was I put a few of her toys along the chair. So she would walk to the next one and she's so proud and she's got a smile from ear to ear. And then I put some on the other side. So then she would plop herself down and then crawl over to the other bench seat. And I did the same thing and she'd walk along that too. She's laughing and she's just having the best time ever. So would that be an example of watching and observing and then responding to what they're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So you notice that she likes cruising. And instead of like, if you see them climbing up on a table, you're like, oh, they're interested in climbing. It's not, no, don't climb. It's just like, oh, no, let's find something that you can climb on. Or let's find more like, and when I I set up a space for a child that's cruising, I'm always looking, how can I arrange some low furniture so that they can cruise along? So, okay, well, maybe if I put some activities or toys, she's more interested even to keep going further and further. So I think that's really, really beautiful. And then it can just be an ottoman that's in your living room that they can have an opportunity to pull up and pull down. Um, sometimes you can even put a ballet bar if you've got somewhere where you can install a ballet bar and they can pull up and pull down. But it sounds like she's just on the move. And so um, soon she'll be like pulling up onto a walker and not a walker where you put the baby in, but one where they can push it. Then they're also in control of their own body. I mean, I love that about Montessori as well, is that we don't put babies into a position that they can't get into themselves. So it's very similar to the Rye approach in that way. And it's the same, like if we put a ballet dancer into point shoes before they're ready, they actually can damage their toes. And here we are trying to hold up the children and make them walk faster by holding their hands. And actually, if we wait until their legs can support them, and then they do all the cruising, they're actually able to, to monitor. And I even had someone say, oh, my eight month old's already standing up and everyone's telling her, oh, you'll hurt her hips. It's like if she was standing up by herself, she's ready to stand up. That's again, their own timeline. So we're always observing to see what our child's most interested in and adapting our environment. And what I love to do like soon after is you can even put like another low thing nearby so that there'll be a point where she has to kind of actually let go of both surfaces and that will be her standing. So you can keep them close together and gradually move them a little bit further apart. And so she'll move maybe from that to the low couch. And then it's just like encouraging. It's not pushing children. It's just like, I'm going to give you a challenge. And if you're ready, you will. And if you would not, when I think of that, I think of like a coin box in my classroom. So I have this really simple activity when the children post coins, hilariously in Amsterdam, I use 50 cent pieces from Australia because they're really big. They're like the perfect size for a toddler to post. And they post them into the coin box. And if it's too hard, they'll literally open the coin box and just put it into the coin box. And then the day when they're ready to actually fit it through the little slit, then they'll close the lid and they'll put it in. So they, they're trying to master things, but they also know what their level they're at as well. And I always liken Montessori education a little bit to computer games. You know, computer games kind of hook you because you, they're not so hard that you give up, but they you don't often get through the levels straight away you have to kind of work and work and work at it and then you master it and so when a computer game gets too hard you give up so the mastery of a computer game is they've designed it so well to make it just hard enough so it's challenging so you're really satisfied when you complete a level and it makes you want to do the next one it's a bit like Montessori it's like we're giving them enough challenges and then we step back like you didn't walk Bambi and do it for her you just set up the environment then you can step back you can have your cup of tea even as she explores this space. So it's not about playing with our child all the time. It's usually setting up the environment so they can explore. So as people say, oh, it seems like a lot of work. It might be a bit more work to set something up, but it definitely gives them much more independence and they take it over and do much more for themselves. Mm, Absolutely. And just going back to what you mentioned before about the baby walkers and then those other little things that you can sit them up in before they're ready to sit up, the walkers 
And there's some other devices that you can get that basically are putting them in positions that they're not ready to be in. And before I had Bambi, I thought, well, isn't that just what you do? You get those walker things and you get that little chair that they can sit up in even though they can't sit up yet. And my husband, because he's already had a child, which was amazing because any time where I was like, oh my goodness, should I be freaking out about this? He was like, no, babe, it's all good. So it was so good having him, especially in those early months where you're just like, is this normal? He just helped me so much. So I'm so grateful. But he actually said to me, he's like, no, why would we force her body into a position that it's not ready for? And he said to me, he's like, it's like forcing someone into the splits. If they can't do the splits, don't force them to do the splits. And it just made so much sense to me. So yeah, you know, there was my parents or anyone would kind of hold Bambi up in the standing position. And I would say, oh, you know, she's actually not there yet. Let's just allow her to get to that point when she's ready before we force them to do something that they're not ready to do. So I really love that you mentioned that. It's really important. And usually their bodies are even stronger for it because they've really had to do the work themselves. So my friend Jennifer, she lives in Africa and she had three children. She was Montessori trained before she had any of her children, which would be amazing to have all this knowledge before you even raise your children. But with the third, is she really didn't put her third Biendu in any position that she didn't know. And you should see this child climbing at 16 months. They know their body so well. She actually crawled before she sat because that was the way that her body like learned to control it so she could crawl and then sit herself back into position. So it doesn't necessarily go in the same order that you're necessarily expecting, but it's so beautiful how strong and capable and they're so aware of their body. You know, we think we're not doing anything, but actually for a baby just to be exploring their toes and to discover how their hands come together, you know, that's enough. You don't need to have a toy that's hanging there and that they have to interact with all the time it's much slower like I said slow down slow down we're not trying to make them go any faster than we we're actually just trying to support them at their own unique pace and at their own unique way of learning so if your child's interested in moving like you said Montessori child is like was sitting there's very quiet and everything but I also think Montessori education can also be great for a child who needs to move who can't sit still for example they just in the traditional school they'd have to sit and listen to a lesson and in Montessori school they can walk around the classroom see what everyone else is doing they can choose an activity almost every activity has movement by the time you've taken the tray to the table you sat down you often have to get a piece of paper you go and get more paper or you get water you have to go to the tap you have to learn how to carry things and so Montessori can also be for children who need to move and and that kind of thing as well. Yes, it's not so much about sitting in the one seat all day long, which I just think is so bad for our bodies. It is so bad. Nothing good comes from sitting all day long. And I love that with Montessori, you're up and you're down, you're on the floor, you're over here, you're going there, you're moving. It's really, really great that they do that. Yeah, I actually went back to some of Dr. Montessori's writing and she said that we don't need a gym hall because the children are doing gymnastics by all of the, you know, the way that you get to sitting position and stand back up again and you lean over, you know, you're working every muscle of your body. Yeah, not just by sitting in a chair. Mm, I love that. I love it. What is the difference between Montessori and Steiner? Well, I think they have a lot in common to start with. It's like the respect for the child, the child being the 
centre of this education and children learning at their own pace. I think that goes along really well and you'll have very respectful guides in both. And I'm not an expert in Steiner, but from what I understand from Steiner is they do a lot through creativity. So they're always looking at how we can teach this, but through a creative lens. They also don't do any academic kind of learning of letters and things like that till the children are seven years old, at least here in the Netherlands, that's how they do it. And so it wasn't for me because I saw that my children were showing interest a lot earlier and we were following each child's unique pace. But instead, they're doing a lot of storytelling. Actually, their playgroups look quite similar because they do baking bread and we bake bread with our children as well. So there's lots of hands-on tactile things. And one thing I do love about Steiner is they follow the seasons. And I think that's really beautiful because I think that it's such a Western approach to, you know, have things like Christmas and Easter mark our year, but to follow the seasons, that's universal. You know, that's how everyone back in the day, you know, you saw the days get longer and shorter and that's how we can live. Our our bodies have different needs at different times of the year. Like in winter, we might actually need more sleep and be cozier and have, there's more, less daylight. And we might need like cozier food than in summer where we can eat lighter and fresher and that kind of thing. And whatever's local and seasonal in our space is what we eat as well. So, that I don't know enough about it, but I know that Montessori is probably more, has more academic touch points. So they're following the child at their own pace, but they are still learning to read and write and follow. And so actually for me, I actually liked that my child had a lot of freedom, but they were still going to be able to, you know, go to university if they wanted to, or, you know, get a real job. And it t- takes time for you to realize, I don't actually care as long as my child's happy, <laughs> you know, it doesn't actually, they don't need to have any academic things. If math isn't their forte, it doesn't mean they're not going to succeed in the world. But it's really hard to unlearn that because at school, we were always taught, you know, you have to do well, you have to be excellent in everything, and otherwise you're a failure. I know. You have to get straight A's, otherwise you're doomed. Yeah, doomed, absolutely doomed. Nothing for you. It's a lot of pressure. Absolutely. And so I love that Montessori children just love learning and they don't feel pressure, And they, but they still learn so much without them even realising that they're through these hands-on learning because they're making discoveries for themselves. I'll give an example. My son was learning at the circumference of a circle. And so I said to him, oh, Pi D. And he said, I don't know. We still haven't finished the lesson. All I'm doing at the moment is I'm getting pieces of string. If I go around the circumference and I divide it by the diameter, then I get this number that's like 3.14 something, something, something. And I'm like, oh, my son just discovered Pi. You know, so it's really interesting. It's like, I didn't even realize that relationship. I had to work it out in my head why he would have by having a piece of string that went around the circumference and dividing it by the diameter, he'd get to 3.14. I'm like, it's just so such an easy, he's never going to forget that formula because he just made that discovery himself um, by being guided and led through this lesson by his teacher. I love that. What does Montessori say about creativity? Because Steiner, yes, you said before, it's very creative they encourage using your imagination and play and creativity a lot. What does Montessori think about that? Yeah, I think it's interesting, actually, because I think a lot of people would say, oh, that's the downside of Montessori is it's not so creative and artistic and that kind of thing. In Dr. Montessori's writings, she talks about giving children the tools. So in our art craft area, even just for the youngest children, we have beautiful materials. We choose less but more, you know, better quality. So they'll just have some simple crayons and then they're learning to make self-expression. So they're learning the markers. Or I'll have some watercolour and instead of having 12 different watercolour that they just mix to brown, I'll have one for them to master how you dip your brush in to get some water how you get some color on and then they make the water color paintings so at every level teaching them this is how we do this but how you express yourself you'll never get like a coloring sheet in the monastery classroom where everyone has to make the same kind of thing or a craft activity we're all making a duck because it's you know that 
springtime and so everyone has to make a duck they'll really get given the materials and then the child can come up with what they want to make themselves and then it gets more refined as they get to six to twelve year olds they're studying artists already and being inspired but again there's a lot of freedom with what they create so it also depends I think sometimes on the teacher so a teacher who has an art background can give them even more skills but I think that it's definitely not overlooked and creativity is also how you think and Montessori is definitely about having creative thinkers because you're not giving them the answers they're working out how to solve problems themselves so there's creativity which is one part is making a piece of artwork and there's also creativity which is not giving me the answer and actually having to work stuff out themselves and I went to visit a Montessori forest school and one of the parts of that I got to see was two children needing to move a log and they couldn't move it. So then they had to think of different ways how I'm going to move this log. They got other children, they were making levers. And this kind of creative communal learning is part of Montessori as well. So I definitely think if you thought that Montessori didn't have creativity, you're wrong. <laughs> definitely it does. And if a child who is creative, they will express themselves and have the ability to express themselves. But if they're not an artist, that they don't have to be an artist. Hmm. I love that. What would you say to a parent who is listening, who is considering Montessori? If they're considering Montessori, I would say it takes some trust to let go of the timelines because be okay if your child doesn't learn to read at the age of four years old, like their neighbor or like everyone's following their own thing, their timeline. But you will see beautiful results that will let your child express the best version of themselves. So if that's interesting you to you for every child to fulfill their potential, then definitely Montessori is worth looking into. And even if you don't, and like the downside of Montessori is sometimes they're private and so they're not accessible to everyone. And I always say you can still apply these principles at home, even if your child goes to a regular school. So you can speak more respectfully with them. You can set things up so they can be independent and help around the house and be part of your home, not because there's pocket money, but because they um, want to be part of the family and be involved with the things that we're, we're doing. Um, and it's just such a joyful way to be a parent because you're just looking at what your child's interested in and all the successes that they have and seeing that they're their successes. Not, I'm so proud of you, darling, but like, I'm so happy. I'm so excited for you. Like, look, you did that for yourself and they should be proud of themselves because that's their work, not our work. I love that. Yes, I do that with Bambi. I'm so excited for her that she can now stand up and I'm really conscious of my language around her. It's so important that we look at that and we check in with that. And I want to encourage everyone to go and look into the Montessori schooling system and see if it's for you. Go and have a tour. Go and read some information. Read your books and see if it resonates with you because it is so beautiful. Yeah, it's a really joyful way to parent when you can let go of some of the timelines and just enjoy your child for where they're at on their own unique journey. Absolutely. I would love to flip the spotlight on you now and I'd love to hear what your definition of success is and what you attribute your success to. Can I honestly say that I hate the word success? It doesn't mean anything to me at all. It's like I just want to wake up, be the best person I can be today. And I think that I would like to delete the word success. Like I have had a lot of fun creating everything I've created for the Montessori community. I love helping people, but it's not because I want to get higher or reach further. I used to set goals and now I just maybe set like a, a theme for the year and yeah, just to live with grace and love and peace. It's really all I want in my life. That's so beautiful. And what is your theme for this year? 
it's always part of slowing down and this year it's ease doing everything with a lot more grace and ease i love that i think we can all implement a little bit more grace and ease into our everyday what is bringing you the most joy in your life right now honestly Joy is getting on my bicycle and cycling through the streets of Amsterdam. Joy is realizing there's rain falling on my face and that's part of being part of nature, even if I'm living in a city. Joy is eating my porridge and enjoying every bite. Joy is seeing the children's face light up when they do something for themselves. Joy is when my university children come home and visit on the weekend. That fills my heart. And joy is just being around the people that I love and receiving their love and giving them love. So there's so much joy that we see. Um, It can just be noticing the leaves change as I'm cycling through the park. It's all around you, folks, so don't miss it. Absolutely. What's one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? I think just to be okay with where I'm at on my journey. I think everyone's in a hurry to get somewhere and it's, it's just to be here right now and to let go, just continually peel back the onion layers of like, this is all the things I've absorbed that I have to do. And instead, just to keep um, being okay, because if I can show up as my full self, then I can help others. And I'm really busy at the moment wanting to help center Black and Indigenous folks, people of the global majority who they've had centuries and generations of hardship and how if we can actually use our spaces to hold and center them and to give these children more opportunities, then we actually level the playing field a lot more. So it's equity rather than giving everyone equal things. Equity is about a bicycle. If I gave you a big bike and Nick the same size bike and Bambi the same size bike, that's equal, but it's not equal. Bambi needs something smaller. She needs to be carried right now, you know, and we would need a different size bike than a male body. And so it's actually about giving everyone what they need right now. So if I can show up as my best self, then I can help other people to achieve their best potential as well. Which is why I'm a Montessori teacher. I'm all about potential and everyone achieving their own. So beautiful. Let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Now, besides your books, what is one book that you would choose mainly for that age, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-old? And it could be any topic. Yeah, to be honest, the book that I found much later, and I'd be curious what teenagers would make of it, is The Alchemist. I think that it's such a beautiful book that might help children already realize that we're on our own journey. And yeah, I think it's got a lot of lessons in there that they could take away. Yes, it is such a great book. And we'll link to it as well as your books in the show notes. And actually, the school that my bonus son is at in year nine, they did The Alchemist as part of their curriculum, which was amazing. And this is not like a Montessori school or a Steiner school or any sort of creative school. It's just a private boys' school, and they did The Alchemist. And when he came home and told us, my husband and I, our jaw was on the floor in a good way. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. What a gift. Let's talk about how your day looks now. I love hearing about people's little rituals and routines that really help them thrive. So can you talk us through a quote-unquote typical day in your life and all of your little rituals that really help you be the best version of yourself? Well, I really like following the Ayurveda philosophy. I find it really matches nicely with Montessori. And so they're very much about having a routine. So I wake up and I have a glass of hot water. I meditate. I go and 
sometimes if I have time, I do some yoga before I leave for class. That doesn't always happen. They also do Abhyanga, which is warming up some sesame oil. And I think you do that with Bambi, right? And um, myself. And, it's so grounding. and yourself, good. Yeah. So grounding. So I do that every morning. And then I get on my bicycle and I cycle to my classes. And that just gives me so much joy because I haven't owned a bike. I haven't owned a car rather in the 15 years since I've lived in Amsterdam, which is so nice because you can get everywhere on your bike. And occasionally if I need to go somewhere I can't, then I'll rent a car for the day or something like that. And then I have a wonderful class with my with my families that come. I love during the lesson, I'm supporting families. So sometimes I'm talking to a parent who's having a hard time and other times I'm showing a child how something works. But it's just always such a joyful place to be. Then I clean up and prepare for the next day. And at the moment I cycle back and I take my dog for a walk. <laughs> and she's a real joy. She takes me to the park. She takes me out to the woods. Sometimes she just have to do a block walk if I have to get back for a meeting or something. And then usually the afternoons are spent catching up on some admin and doing online workshops and things like that that I also do and some book writing at the moment and then the evenings and meals and yeah often unfortunately I'm on my computer after meal sometimes as well but before bed I always have a bath and I read a book until I fall asleep so that's the day it's not very exciting but it's all the simple pleasures that I enjoy. Oh, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I love that. And you lived in Australia for quite a few years. What made you go to Amsterdam from Australia? Yeah, we had family in the UK. So we wanted to move to be closer to family. And we were planning to just stay in Amsterdam for one year. But as life has it, you know, after a year, we were like, oh, not sure if we're done here. So we'll stay longer. And 15 years later, we're still all here. And uh, my children speak Dutch and English. And they go to university here. It's really just an easy place to live. It's a little bit slower paced. Not getting children in and out of cars makes me really happy. Like, I think I was done with that. We moved when Oliver was five and Emma was four. And having to do up all those car seats and things, I'm like, I'm done with this just to go see my parents or to go to the supermarket. And um, it's really nice to just be able to jump on a bike. And they were cycling themselves to school. So you don't need to run around as teenagers being their taxi driver. They could get themselves around. So they get a lot more independence here as well. Mm, and fresh air, not to mention the amazing benefits of being outside and fresh air and breathing that in. Yes, yes to bike riding more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in my day, I cycle at least 10 kilometers, I think, because my work's at least three and a half kilometers away. So that's at least seven before you've done a few errands around. So yeah, it's great for your body, mind and soul. Absolutely. I love it. You've inspired me. I'm going to get on a bike. I don't have one, but I will find one. <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Sleep. Yes. Love sleep. Me too. I love it. What's one thing we can do today for our wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Just live in the moment. Yes. Beautiful. And what's one thing we can do for more love in our life? Just have your heart open to give and receive love. Beautiful. This has been so awesome. I have loved connecting with you. I have loved learning more about Montessori. You have really inspired me and I hope everyone listening feels inspired to go and check it out and to be curious and to investigate whether this is something that they are interested in. But is there anything else that you wanted to share with us? 
Well, no, I just actually think that the Montessori approach aligns with a lot of what you teach adults to do for themselves, to become the best version of themselves, to let go of perfectionism and all those kind of things, to allow children to see mistakes. Like it just, it fits. So I think that if you love what Melissa does, you would love a Montessori like kind of approach to parenting and to raising your children. So thank you for having me. It's been a delight, really, really fun to connect and speak to Australians as well. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And your books, your work, everything you do is incredible. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. You are helping so many people. You are inspiring so many people, especially our little people. So I want to know what we can do to give back and serve you today. Well, you can find all my work over at themontessorinotebook.com. And there's so many free resources there, so help yourself. But really, if you support the Black Montessori Education Fund, they're doing amazing work to educate more Black teachers, to get more Black schools open, and to help families with Black children to get into Montessori education. So that's something that I'm really passionate about, and you can support them. Oh, I love that. Yes, and we will link to your website in the show notes as well. Simone, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute delight Thank you for all the work you're doing. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. And likewise, Melissa, I read read that years ago. And so it's really fun to connect with you in person now. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And I've read your book and I loved, I actually read it whilst I was breastfeeding in the very early days. And I remember going, okay, honey, I would love to implement the Montessori philosophy and way of being into our home. And straight away, we started implementing some of the things. So thank you for your inspiration. It's a pleasure. See you later. I truly hope this episode has inspired you to look into Montessori for either your child's education or even to just implement some of the amazing principles at home. Either way, I hope you got a lot out of this episode and please share it with all of your friends. And if you loved this conversation, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my other episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you never have to go searching for an episode. Now, come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you. I love connecting with you. So please come on over there and connect with me. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you and your kids or your future kids. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.